This is Equipping Eve, the podcast that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth from God's Word. In his second letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. A sincere and pure devotion to Christ begins by being grounded in his word. So let's open our Bibles, ladies, and prepare to feast on the truth God has given us. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve. I'm your host, Erin Benziger, and today we're going to step away from the Gospel of John just for another quick episode, give us a little break, and take a look at um, just some other thoughts. So today, I hope I haven't used this article before. I don't remember, quite frankly, Um, but I came across it again and I thought it was a good one. So this article is from the website gcdiscipleship.com. I can't vouch for anything else on this website. It's just not one I visit very often, but I liked this article. So this was actually written back in August of 2019 uh, by Davis Weatherall. And it reads, it's called Aspire to Live Quietly. And it reads, when I was a senior in high school, I mentored two freshmen as part of a school-run discipleship program. We met loosely every other week at the Starbucks down the road from the school. I bought us three copies of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. We talked a lot about passion. Our conversations would circle around ideas like being on fire for God and bringing God's kingdom to earth. And while these statements aren't explicitly wrong, they can easily be misapplied. My vision for being on fire for God included big things that would draw a lot of attention to myself. Taking a high-ranking job as a Christian employee, amassing a social media following by tweeting my spiritual and biblical insight, writing a best-selling Christian novel, and maybe even forming new laws that would enact an unprecedented age of success for the Christian university. Fast forward seven years to my life today, and you'll find a sometimes discontent Christian. I have a job, but it's not at all as important as I dreamed it would be. I have a Twitter account with less than a handful of followers. My novel is unsold and incomplete, and my political influence is non-existent. Sometimes I wonder, what's going on, God? It feels like you're making me waste my life. I have no influence. I've done nothing great. All this trying, and for what? Not long ago, I decided to read 1 Thessalonians, and I found the book to be a direct admonishment and encouragement to my discontent with my lack of importance. In 1 Thessalonians 4.3, Paul writes, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Notice what Paul does not say. For this is the will of God, your influence, your power, and your following. No. Paul, under the inspiration of God himself, says the will of God is your sanctification. I was asking God, why isn't my book published? Why don't I have more followers? I've been working like crazy for your will, and I've seen very little reward. And God answered me through 1 Thessalonians as if saying, You've been looking for the wrong reward. My will is to sanctify you. The immediate application is to say that God brings about his will in those who are in high-ranking jobs and low ones. He works through those who have 1.43 million Twitter followers and those who have 143. God can use my writing for his will if it is picked up tomorrow by the biggest publishing house or even if no one ever reads it. His will is my sanctification. If this is the case, then am I free to aspire to either anything I want or nothing at all? Not quite. A few verses later in the same chapter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, We urge you to aspire to live quietly. This sentence jumps off the page because it seems like a contradiction. Aspire to live quietly? 
As in, I'm supposed to hope and dream and work for an insignificant life? Yes and no. The Greek word to live quietly, according to BDAG, a Greek English lexicon, means to live a quiet life or refrain from disturbing activity. The definition mentions other words like peaceable and orderly, the implication being that as Christians, we are to aspire to live a peaceable life. I'm going to start skimming through here uh, so that I'm not reading the whole thing to you. I'll link to it at Equipping Eve. Um, he's saying that our leaning should be toward peace, not strife, toward order, not disorder, and we should embrace peace, even if it means facing our own insignificance. And I'm going to pause here, ladies, because this is what struck me, and uh, maybe because it's more prominent now in social media than it was back when this article was originally published or when I first read it back in August or September of 2019. But Christians today, and a lot of times I make my observations based off of social media because that's where Christians are the noisiest. It's safe to be someone different behind a computer screen and behind a keyboard. Um, and so for those of you who are on social media, you're probably aware of some of the discord and division that has happened among professing Christians, uh, conservative, reformed, confessional even Christians and it's just absolutely grievous and when he says when this author says things like we should embrace peace even if it means facing our own insignificance it strikes me in how I see some social media personalities jumping in on the controversy commenting with their snark, and I'm actually in my head thinking of women, quite frankly, I'm going to be completely honest, but there are plenty of men who do this too. The list could go on and on. You know, who jump in and are cheerleaders with some of the more boisterous voices who have the big following so that they can get a pat on the back and praise from those big voices and maybe their following can be increased as well. So instead of embracing peace, they're embracing the controversy and feeding it with their snarky comments and their divisive words, quite honestly. And I feel like I can comment on this because back in the day, many, many, many years ago, when I was a quote-unquote discernment blogger, I totally get it. I was there. You know, you wanted to be on the forefront of the latest controversy. You wanted to be making the the best comments on Twitter and, uh, you know, coming up with the best one-liners so that it could be retweeted and people could see it. And then maybe someone who's a little bit more important than you would see it. And then that person would praise you. And then more people would like you. And you don't even realize you're doing it, but it happens. And the division that we're seeing among the church today, and it's not just on social media, that is a fruit of what's happening within actual communities. It's honestly driven by so much of this. And what is this need for the controversy? What happened to aspiring to live quietly? What happened to not having to comment on every single thing that happens? We can have an opinion, but not everybody needs to know what that opinion is, right? Because maybe we're wrong. Even if our theology looks really good on paper, maybe we're wrong. And that doesn't give us the right to be jerks, quite frankly. 
And so this author goes on and actually addresses social media and says, isn't this true of many of us on social media, the idea of aspiring for conflict and strife instead of peace and unity? I'm only on Twitter, the writer says, so I'll speak to the temptations I face there. I see a tweet that bothers me. Then I'm tempted to respond, whether in a comment, retweet, or subtweet, to make sure the truth is represented. Is this always bad? Well, no, but if the will of God is my sanctification, then I should be careful about how much I engage with thoughts that cause unnecessary and irrational anger in me. If I'm out of touch with how social media affects my soul, then I'm out of touch with the will of God for my life. God does call me to an insignificant life in the sense that I don't have to be the one to correct people on Twitter. Some people are called to that mission. God bless them. I don't actually think anybody is called to that mission, but anyway... But if you think you are, he says, I'd ask you, be honest. Do you love the conflict? Do you love the argument? If so, be insignificant on social media and preserve your soul. For what use is it to you if you gain all the world's likes but lose your soul? He goes on, Paul encourages believers to aspire to live quietly out of love for the honor of Christ. And so it can also be said that aspiring to live quietly is a great means by which we can honor our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what makes this kind of life so significant. It is eternally so, eternally so. You don't have to be loud, controversial, angry, outspoken, or widely published to live for the honor of Jesus Christ. He has endowed you with the assets you need to live according to his will, which is your sanctification. And uh, there's a little bit more there, but I encourage you to read the article that I'll post at Equipping Eve. Just to add some additional thoughts to this, ladies, uh, first of all, I'd encourage you to go into 1 Thessalonians and take a look at these passages and um, study them for yourselves. And I'm going to do the same thing and see what God is saying in those particular verses. But this article, as I reread it again this week, it brought to mind something in my own life. I have a neighbor who is a pastor of a local congregation. He's been at his church for over 30 years. You wouldn't know his name if I told it to you. He's written no books and he has no significant or any, as I'm, as far as I'm aware, social media presence, but he's faithful. He brings the word to his people each week. He's encouraging. He's quite the shepherd. And I know this because I have conversations with him when out on a walk and every conversation that we have on the street is peppered with Bible. He knows God's word. He knows his Bible and he speaks truth and he speaks comfort and he speaks reason because he knows the word. And the thing is, you don't have to be a pastor to have this type of quiet influence. That's his role. That's what God has called him to do. And as far as I can see, he lives a quiet life and is faithful and is significant because of his quote-unquote insignificance, and I would argue that there is no insignificance for one who is serving Christ. And so we can and should live quiet lives that honor Jesus no matter what our situation is. So today, ladies, as an endorsement, I have a weird one. I'm going to encourage you to make sure that you always have a bottle of extra firm hairspray on hand. And this is not because I think we should go back to the 80s and we should all have mall bangs and use the hairspray to keep them up all day, but that would be fabulous. Everybody knows that mall bangs were amazing. But this is because hairspray, if you didn't know, is a great way to kill a spider. 
So the hairspray, if you get it on their back, it dries. You want hairspray that dries quickly and clogs up their ability to breathe. So it dries on their back and I, I guess they have like breathing holes. I don't know. This is not the scientific episode of Equipping Eve. Anyway, so it kind of immobilizes them and then you can squish them. Or if it's a smaller spider, you can just watch it slowly die, which, you know, may or may not bring a small sense of pleasure to you, depending on how much you like or dislike spiders. So I say this because we had a massive black hairy spider um, on the porch today and um, it had to be hairsprayed so that it would drop from the roof of the porch so that it could be squished and it was terrible and creepy and gross and basically I'm never going on the porch again but you should have hairspray on hand not for your hair but for the bugs that inevitably will be around and as a parting thought ladies let's examine ourselves and challenge ourselves to be content to live quietly and not in constant conflict, no matter how much we tell ourselves that it's because we're zealous for the truth. Where is our heart? What is our motivation? It's a challenge for all of us. All right, ladies, until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.